I'm not strange. Weird. I'm not strange. Off, nor crazy. Weird. I'm not strange. My reality is just different than yours. If you believe in me, I'll believe in you. Is that a bargain? Hello, everybody. This is Craig from The Unbeaten Path. Great day, everybody. This is Craig with The Unbeaten Path. And I'll tell you what, uh, it has been a while since I have done a podcast. I uh, ended up uh, taking some uh, courses online and really getting involved on those. And I'll probably go into those a little bit later in, uh, in, in uh, on the podcast. So uh, then I ended up with... Uh, little bit of a cold, nothing serious, and uh, just uh, couldn't talk more than three seconds without coughing. So anyway, back to uh, 100%, and I just had a guest on today uh, that is a phenomenal guest. Uh, his name is Dr. Mark Changizi, and uh, I tell you what, uh, humbling on my part uh it uh this guy is phenomenal that's all i'm going to say about it i mean he's just holy smokes and a lot of great insights onto uh today's current event current events and i tell you what before we kick off i do want to tell you go to his youtube channel uh it's under mark changi's c-h-a-n-g-i-z-i wow go to his youtube channel and check out his videos. They are great. They're like four to eight minutes long, give or take. I, I, I don't really remember seeing two, ones that were too utterly long or anything like that. But he covers a lot of information, a lot of current information that is kind of gives you a different perspective on things, especially with today's uh, environment. So check him out on YouTube. Also, he's got a website. It is uh, Mark... Mark uh, Changizi, C-H-A-N-G-I-Z-I dot com. Check his stuff out. Check out also a thing called FreeX, and that'll be at FreeX.org. Those are places where you can reach him. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at uh, Mark uh, Changizi as well. And I tell you what, it is well worth the effort, well worth the time, and great podcast. Uh, Anyway, uh, I'm, I'm just fluffing up here, so making this uh, intro just a little bit longer, but uh, it went over a little bit of an hour for this uh, for this podcast. So you guys kick back, enjoy it, listen, check it out. We will talk to y'all later. Thank you. Okay, Mark, uh, and, and, and forgive me, um, do you prefer Mark or Doctor or... How, how would you like to? No, <laughs> no, and just Mark is great. Yeah. Okay. And just to get a little bit of background information here, uh, you are a doctor um, of what discipline? Oh, yeah. So I, my, my PhD is in mathematics, and I, um, I was, you know, undergrad physics, math, and I became a PhD in math. And then uh, I was sort of, even during that time, I was doing sort of theoretical neuroscience, and I became really like a theorist in cognitive science, neuroscience, sort of evolutionary biology. And so my research over time has sort of uh, been all over the place, moving from one field to another, but I've you know, been involved in things that are like, you know, why the brain is shaped the way it is, or why oh. we see illusions, or why you see in color, 
why you get have pruny fingers when you're wet. It turns out they're rain treads. They're actually optimized to sort of uh, uh, squirt the water out like uh, so you don't hydroplane. But also things like why we have came to have language and writing, uh, how we came to have music and the arts. Uh, my next book's on the origins of emotional expression, sort of a group. So most of these things are sort of grand unifying theories that are about human behavior or society or how we came to be the way we are. It's sort of the ultimate questions for rather than how the billiard balls work inside the brain or inside the body. They're more about the selection pressures that shape us and why we're designed the way that we are. Uh, and from yeah, uh, sort of, but, you know, mathematical enough that you can ground it from first principles, but, you know, but it's, um, but almost like a philosopher is the way I like to think of it. Right, right. Now, um, okay. Like I said, uh, just a few seconds ago, I, I've been sitting here just watching your videos. I'm, I'm totally enthralled with them. Uh, I think I, I ideally, I think they're perfect as far as, you know, you keep them, you know, like 10 minutes, maybe, or about five minutes, eight minutes. I think uh, last one, I think was uh, moment science moment 90. I was watching and that was like eight minutes and some change and uh perfectly i mean uh, perfectly done and uh now what what uh i noticed you've got a whole thread or string of these uh videos that you're doing on youtube and what uh i mean obviously the lockdown prompted these but um okay why um Oh boy, for lack of better terms, uh, why yeah. are you anti-mask, anti-vax? I guess if if that's right. Yeah, well, I mean, just a, a slight um, backing up there to the, you know, the I had started the Science Moment series on YouTube actually, you know, maybe a year before COVID even hit. Okay. And they were in the beginning, they were very short, one minute, and then uh, just quick things from my research, sort of uh, uh, short. Uh, things that poke at something interesting that most people don't know. I'm trying, you know, a lot of people would watch my videos and say, look, you know, here's what people typically think. And as Mark is saying, they sort of the exact opposite based upon either things from my research or, or, or on, on things related to my research. And then COVID hit and I actually just sort of paused. I started to come out of the sort of political closet, so to speak, as a public facing <laughs> intellectual for years, I kept my mouth shut. I'm a libertarian, but you know, I didn't really want to be the kind of person that was involved in, you know, I was had a, I was in sort of a, a very outward. I was on TV and I had a lot of articles in Discover magazine. I was really out, but I didn't want to be these these folks that you come, become well known and then they start talking about politics all the time. So I was, other than free expression is, issues that I would occasionally talk about, I never talked about left, right, or even libertarian kinds of issues. But then, you know, and that was despite being sort of surrounded in Twitter by. Uh, uh, science communicators, because I was, you know, I have, I have a lot of books. And so I was in, in interacting with a lot of those books and they're very far left and they're constantly, you know, just saying things that, uh, uh, you know, are very political, 100%, you know, are just constantly. So, but I just kept my mouth shut. But when COVID hit, things started to um, uh, down, go down the uh, spiral very quickly, so quickly that really, I just couldn't see how one could just keep one's mouth shut. Uh, you know, a lot of the other kinds of things that I disagreed with were sufficiently like, you know, the global climate change, I think is a kind of a minor hysteria, but it's, it's a big drag on the economy. It's cost probably trillions of dollars over, you know, dozens of years, but it's the kind of thing that you can overcome. And so there's a lot of hysterias that happen here and there. And I just ignore these things because you, you can spend your entire life and it's really not going to make much of a difference. But in this case, 
within two, within the, even just a few days, you could tell something was very different. It was worldwide. Um, it was a snitch-like totalitarian feel, even from the beginning, even on March 15th, uh, even March 10th. I remember my first tweet about it was March 10th of 2020. And I, I was, every, everybody was mentioning coronavirus and was always preceded by the words uh, dangerous, deadly, these kinds of adjectives always preceding it. And I said, like, well, this is not right. You know, the, in fact, the data, as I, and I wasn't knowledgeable about COVID then, but I, I kept looking it up and I said, the, IF, the, the infection fatality rates as estimated by the Center for Evidence-Based Medicine at, at Cambridge is suggesting 0.2 to 0.3% uh, uh, infection fatality rate, which is, uh, and that, at that time, it turns out to be uh, probably half that as we've gotten more data. But these were in the range of flu, maybe a little bit higher than flu at the time. And uh, of course, it was steeply um, uh, graded as a function of demographics. As you get older, it just goes up, you know, orders three or four orders of magnitude. So this was basically an old person uh, with comorbidities disease over 80 years old, as we knew it even in late February and early March. And yet everything had gone haywire, and everybody even uh, by uh, by early March completely had a different opinion about how dangerous it was, and we're starting to suggest. Um, massive um, uh, civil liberties violations, um, and we're yeah. completely uh, uh, beckoning for them immediately. So one of the first, during that first week, I was out with CrossFit friends, and rather than work, working out of the gym because we were told, you know, we're not allowed to do that, so we went out to a playground, not the playground, just to the to the track at a middle school nearby, and we just brought some equipment out there, and we're working outside, and this lady pulls over in her car, and she's some kind of nurse that works nearby. And she pulls over, walks over. Who are you guys? Who are you people? Right. Like, oh, we're just CrossFitters working. And she's like, you're not, you shouldn't be working out together. You shouldn't be anywhere near each other. And we're even social distancing. Friends were outside. And then she just proceeded to accost us. And we actually just had to pick up our stuff and run away across the field in order to get away from her. Oh, my but God. But she was, you know, so you're, this is even March 15th or March, somewhere around there. So this is a, a level of snitch-like enforcement that you find in Iran. You know, when women are wearing hijab and they're not sufficiently appropriately wearing it and some of their hair is showing. And then the women are, are men on the street who don't work for the government. They just, you know, they're just your your righteous neighbors enforcing the good. And this is what you see. That's dangerous stuff um, because that times millions, that times a million or you know, in this yeah. case billions um, is, is what totalitarianism is. It's not oh, top down. I mean, it's that's, top that's... down and bottom up and left, right and all from all angles. Yeah. Yeah, your case, your case right there was, I mean, <laughs> really reminiscent of uh, the 1930s Germany. You know, yeah. I mean, uh, so, wow. Yeah. 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 So that that was early. You can imagine things yeah. are still, you know, building steam. And, um, and uh, so, you know, even six months or four or five months later, the average person in the United States, so the median respondent, the median answer for the question how, what percentage of the population has already died of COVID? This was July, 2020. Mm -hmm. What percentage of the population has died of COVID? The median answer was 9% in the United States. That is, they thought that 9% of the population had already died of COVID by July. That was the actual answer is, you know, I don't know, it was like point, it's, you know, it's 250, 300 times higher than reality. Um, so, in Australia earlier this year, they had a, did a poll, and the average respondent said that the infection fatality rate of COVID was 38%, which means that on average, people who get it have a 38% chance of dying, um, that a 38% of them die, whoever get it. And the actual number is, again, like 0.15%, which is um, basically flu-like. It's a little bit worse, two or three times worse than flu if you're 60 enough, 
and it's much safer than flu if you're if you're you know if you're 40s and below. These the the amount of misunderstanding and misinformation, which of course people on our side are accused of, but right. the misinformation is entirely on the other side, and it's not just misinformation; it's astronomically wrong misinformation, <laughs> like orders of magnitude wrong. You know, and if you mention that, like you guys are orders of magnitude off, you're the one who's not only misinformed, but you're a disinformer. And furthermore, you're going to be reported to Twitter and potentially suspended and potentially canceled and your career ruined because you're correcting something that they're all off by by orders of magnitude. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah, it's it, it's 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 really I mean, right now we're we're sitting at uh, approximately what what they say, five hundred and thirty two thousand people have died from COVID. Is that is that information correct? Because I'm, I'm not 100% sure on that. Well, I mean, so what they're claiming, so, I mean, off the cuff, people are just throwing out these numbers of 700,000, which is, of course, accumulated now over one and a half years. And okay. these numbers, but, but uh, you know, this, these, are, uh, um, these are incredibly um, uh, irresponsible kinds of numbers they're throwing around. They, with, with, first of all, they're, you know, they're pulling together with COVID versus of COVID. And there's no contrast or comparison to um, uh, other years. The flu is is almost um, is, is measured in a completely different way. Flu is is measured uh, via completely different standards, which radically underestimates the number of flu cases. Because the average person who's you know 80 plus years old who's in a nursing home with two or three comor comorbidities, it's very often a cold or a flu that just pushes them over the edge and finishes right. them off. And often flu and the colds are just not reported as the, the reason that they died. It's just old age because that's what takes out everybody. All of these winter waves, if you've seen these waves of excess mortality that come every winter, basically every single person in that wave is a cold and flu pushed over the edge, right? They're dying with, with you know, it, it's contributing factors, a cold or a flu. But it's only a tiny fraction of those each winter that are actually written as of of flu or of colds, because it's just the, the way they've always done it. But now, um, everything, every single last one that really might have been of, of COVID is being treated as COVID, and then everything that just died with COVID, which may not have even you know been relevant to the death, is still being uh, put down as with COVID and counted. So they're right, right. they're counting they're counting way more of COVID than they ever counted of, of flu, and they're counting all these with COVID. And then not to mention that they're also piling in all the lockdown and hysteria deaths. Uh, more and more evidence is coming that the very initial spike, the initial spike everywhere, um, we had COVID going through, coursing through uh, in, in November, December, and January, February, March. It, the, you didn't see any excess deaths until the WHO suddenly announces there is hereby a pandemic. Everybody freaks out. And then everywhere that there was a peak, it was the exact same peak over the course of whatever, four or six weeks all rising up instantaneously at the at, at that announcement no matter you know when it happened it was happening in different uh, uh season you know different parts of the world that had different kinds of typical seasonality differences right but, but no it's all time locked to to the human induced reactions which where you suddenly started to to behave quite differently had uh everybody locked down suddenly the care of the, all these people in long-term care homes were lowered um they treated started changing medical practice putting people on ventilators giving them sedatives and a hundred different kinds of reasons where suddenly all these spikes happen, not because of COVID per se, and they were potentially dying with COVID, but they were not because of COVID. It's because of human-induced uh, first wave. The first wave was really all human-induced. And since then, we've had now you know more and more excess deaths at lower 
at lower age brackets that um, have basically almost no mortality from COVID at all. And yeah. we see this across the board in all of these different kinds of, uh, of, of deaths because of, of lack of going to the hospital, lack of uh, treatment, only getting cyber meetings where they can't diagnose anything. And so this, you know, there's, there's no accounting for the fact that these 500,000 supposed uh, uh, cases, uh, what fraction of those um, are in fact from lockdown and, and hysteria deaths. Um, even the New York Times had admitted, you know, six or eight months ago that potentially half of, at the time, total number of American COVID deaths were potentially lockdown deaths. So, so now I think that's, that's a, yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just to no, that, no, no, switch a little bit of gears here. Yeah. Well, what do you, what do you yep. think the, the, the uh, corporate media is gaining uh, by for lack of a better term, misinformation or accelerated information or exaggerated information, if you will. I mean, what, in, in your opinion, I mean, why, why do you think, why do you think they're doing this to the people? Yeah. So let, let me connect this up to the science moment. Okay. So, you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll weave them back in. So I started a science moment, YouTube series, um, you know, I, I mentioned just, just to do science, but then when COVID hit, I, it was, I had to come out of the closet, so to speak, and start and so I, I decided that I'm going to restart the Science Moment series, but make it more topical. And of course, since then, everything that's been topical for the last year and a half has been COVID. And I, <laughs> you know, as a scientist, I could have focused on more than one kind of thing. I'm, I'm a good data scientist as well. Part of being a scientist is being really good with data, and I have a lot of experience with that. But really, there's a lot of, I'm, I'm associated with a number of organizations worldwide with a lot of great uh, data scientist heads who are looking at the epidemiology. And I said, you know, that's really not where I want to focus my Science Moment series, nor my, you know, my, my sort of newsletter and things like this, where I have something more uh, a special, you know, m more uh, unique to talk about is on the sort of psycho-societal or origins of these kinds of events. Why? Because none of this is really an epidemiological issue. None of this is a, an evidence-based kind of art, because you can argue all day long. And you're just going to go in circles with people. Something right. happened last March that changed the nature of what the narratives were or what was going on in people's head. And it was a mass effect. It was a group effect. It was an echo chamber kind of effect. And this kind of thing, why did it happen? How does it compare to other kinds of previous totalitarianisms? Uh, how do you stop it? And so I started a, so I've really focused. And as you saw, looking through the science, each of these science moment videos, they're 99% really trying to get at these sorts of issues, which are really are what underlie this and all and underlie all the dangerous things that societies do, which all the genocides, all the democide, democide means death by government, even if they're even if they're not gene or ethnic, you know, cleansing related. Um, all of these death by government kinds of cases are nearly always due to uh, these sorts of mass hysterias and mass delusions and totalitarianisms, totalitarianisms, which are often spread across the people and not just pushed top down by, uh, you know, a dictator. Uh, it's it's all, uh, often a lot more complicated than than just simply a dictator. When a dictator comes and does a coup in some small African nation, uh, usually it's not a big deal, so to speak, to the individuals. Yeah, their nation is continually getting messed up by the you know the new leaders each each year that get toppled over. But it, you know you can still you know roughly be free and clear in your own little area because there's not this mass hysteria where everybody's snitching and, and part of this like cult, right? And so once it becomes like a cult and this religion that's spread across and they all are self-reinforcing and self-policing it, then you end up with a very different kind of uh, event. So that's, that's the kind of stuff that I'm trying to focus on where I have a lot of research experience that leading up towards trying to understand this. So I started a, 
research institute earlier this year called Free X or Free Expression Group, which is devoted to try to understand these sorts of events mathematically, psychosocially, understanding. The, and so it, it, there's a lot of uh, interesting complex emergent phenomena and understanding them requires to do the kind of research that I've been involved in uh, for years, but that's what we were working yeah. on at FreeX. Okay, FreeX. Now, is that uh, you say FreeX? Is that you said you started an institute? Is there is there a place where listeners can go to check this out? Yeah, so it's it's FreeX, like free, but then with an X after it. Dot yeah. group, and oh, uh, wow. it's the FreeX Free Expression Group, and it's uh, our the re that's the home the you know the, the home page. And mm -hmm. over, you know, and there, there's a newsletter that's associated with it. And then the idea is that, you know, that, that I have a book coming, a sixth book coming out next year. Uh, wow. And then the, hopefully the seventh book will be on new discoveries on our, our trying to understand these kinds of mass hysterias and um, how free expression and the importance of how these kinds of social networks and the expression within them and how they go wrong and how we can, uh, and how narratives, these sort of social narratives and, that we get stuck in and really hard to unravel. Anyway, there's a whole whole world of, of research along those lines that we need to understand, to understand what is happening. It's, it's what always happens. All the time, there's silly narratives that are going along that we can't reverse, but this time it hit the whole world all at once uh, with, a, with a disproportionate right. level of fear and changing things so quickly that um, we haven't seen like anything this, like this yeah, in this, our lifetime. Yeah, this was exactly one of my questions. I mean, uh, okay, because this is a world event, Okay, and you, you're speaking of like a totalitarianism. Ah, I can I can't even say that right now. Um, but you say uh, with the dictator. Uh, okay, in this world event that we're having right now, who who do you think is is the dictator? I mean, do we have? One, I mean, we can't say oh it's Joe Biden. Uh, you know, I mean, he, right? He, he, yeah, I mean it's right. uh, or you can't say yeah. it's. Uh, you know, Tony Blair, Margaret Thatcher, whoever, I mean, uh, with the British. And, right. Right. I mean, who, who are we talking about here? Right. So that, that's the hard thing to understand about these. And this is where I, I, dis, I disagree with some people on my side. And this goes back to journalists. You, one might ask, why are journalists doing this? Look, journalists are, there is no such thing as journalists, so to speak. I mean, it's just a bunch of people out there and they all have their own independent motivations and mostly Two, two things that are just, you know that are all that you really need to know that that is all to, to explain why, why they're doing this is one they're they're just looking for clicks they want to get published in in, the, in their you know they want to get airtime so to speak with their editor and uh, two they want to get clicks so they're gonna on the, when they're describing things um, they're gonna make it uh, uh, more uh, juicy and scary sounding in terms of the beginning of this pandemic that's what that's what's more likely to get them the editor's eye to get a, a big news story and get a lot of retweets of it or whatever it is and hits and that um, makes them more interesting so that the editor asks them for a next article okay. that's all that you need and they're all so they're always just irres, you know irresponsible so to speak click baiters because that's what you know that's what they're <laughs> rewarded for right so you don't, they've always been that way there's nothing new about that but the other thing of course is they're all uh, of one mind politically they're 97 98 percent far left and and that alone it might you might argue just being far left itself might be bad or good and I'm, i don't think you even need that to explain the mere fact that they're all the same is bad enough because once they're all the same um the entire group is much more likely to move together on an issue on this it wasn't a particularly left or right issue as to whether you believed that covid was super dangerous or or more like a flu isn't a left right thing right 
But because one entire group is politically polarized, already part of a sort of a, a single reputation system where they're all kind of intermingled and they're a single community, then if for whatever reason the community sort of shifts towards one way, they're all going to shift. Right. And for peculiar political reasons, because Trump was in power and he was slightly less caring about maybe COVID than some of the others were, then somehow it ended up that that's how the things shifted. So they all shifted together. And that made it more dangerous. And that's also just one danger for, you know, it's just it's simply dangerous to not have diversity amongst journalists. It's dangerous to not have diver political diversity amongst academics, which is also equally far left, not because of their being left or right per se, but just because of the way that these reputation networks work and the way that social narratives work and the way that human communities work. When they, they shift, they'll all typically shift together in mass rather than independently able to shift on their own, the basis of their own judgments. Um, and that kind of happens for free without anyone, any dictator making it happen, without any strings being pulled. These things can just happen all on their own. So a lot of these effects can happen. All of the totalitarianisms can happen all on their own. And yeah, they can, once they get going, sometimes then they can, you know, they can take a dictator and, and he's riding on the shoulders. He or she's riding on the shoulders of this sort of so shoulders of these, you know, the totalitarianism that has swept through in this kind of call. But um, often you know, it, it can be very difficult to just be a dictator and hereby decide that I shall cause a cult like, you know, love of me such that they'll No, It's really hard to do that. Yeah. There right. might be, you know, a million guys and gals out there that are like, you know, would love that. But there's, you know, only the occasional person is able to make it happen. It's usually just a lot of luck and they happen to be in the right place at the right time. And they're brought in on the shoulders of others. And then they can then, of course, contribute to that mass hysteria, which is already there, and they can try to whip it up. And, and again, even they're not consciously aware that it's a mass hysteria, and they don't understand these psychosocial forces. They may, but they happen to just sort of do things that are in their interest. And often they even what's in their interest is what they think is best for everybody. They really believe, you know, often, you know, there's, there's, no, there's no evil person that's twiddling their mustache who thinks they're evil, right? They're all right. thinking they're doing good, <laughs> and they're doing something for they believe that they're helping make everybody safe. They believe that the Jews were unclean and dirty and, and dangerous to society. And, you know, the Chinese you know, and the Cultural Revolution thought the middle class and upper middle class and the rich and the educated and the academics were really a, a danger to society. And Islamists believe that, you know, women with their hair coming down and people that are pushing certain kinds of reforms are really dangerous to society. And they really, truly believe it. Right? Um, and it, it's, it's not a scheme to take over the world. There, it's because they really think that the best world is one where they're fighting those dangerous things, and that's why these things are hard. Um, because, but I um, mean, in, in today's society, yeah. we're we're fighting a virus, if you will, uh, an alleged right. virus. I mean, I, I'm not saying that coronavirus doesn't it doesn't exist. I mean, I've known, I've known it, it. It's, I mean, it's existed since what? What are we talking like? Ninety two. And, uh, you know, when the, you know, first COVID or coronavirus uh, SARS issue came out. And, yeah. but I mean, but to, we're, to, we're talking the entire world is, is out there. I mean, you know, you can't, you can't travel from country to country anymore for the most yeah. part. Uh, yeah. You know, unless you've got your papers all in order. And right. uh, I mean, it's, it's, how do people not see this? That is, yeah, I mean, that's, and that's the other. Not only do they, is it the unprecedented levels of civil rights violations, uh, completely draconian, but the folks that are in the narrative and are part of the mainstream narrative, 
um, it, you could imagine two different ways. One, they could see that they're civil rights violations and say, but they're justified. And I think there are certainly some subset of them that do. But I, okay. I, it seems as if most of the people in the narrative don't even recognize these as, as they'll, they'll just say, what, what civil rights violations? Wow. That's what they'll say. They really, they really don't get it. And then you have to list these huge, you know, this long list of things that have been done. Like, this is not like, oh, that's just, you know, ma freedom. They'll just say, this is silly. That, 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 doesn't even, that, that, that it, it doesn't enter their brain that they've engaged in civil rights violations or something that should be even called civil rights violations. I feel like 90% are, are, are of that mind. And um, one, they don't have a good appreciation for civil rights in the first place. Few people do. Um, but um, I, I, at least it would be nice to have our, I guess it's a little bit more refreshing when you're having an argument with someone just, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm totally an authoritarian and I think it's okay because here we're saving people because of X, Y, and Z. You know, at least you're kind of agreeing on the fact that it's draconian. Well, and so then you can move on to the next step. <laughs> but well, I mean, originally back in back in March of you know 2020, actually back in September of 2019. I mean, I was mm -hmm. I was at the viewpoint, you know, this is this it's good for the people, you know, this is they've got to do certain measures. I mean, I was 100% behind the the whole, you know, the whole Trump thing uh, behind. You don't behind, mean you don't mean. September 2019. You know, I don't think you mean that. What, uh, oh, we yeah. didn't really know anything about it until February. J people started talking about it in, the, in public around January. Well, with, uh, I, yeah, the September 19 or 2019 would have been, you know, the political climate, you know, with, oh, uh, yeah. you know, the, the Republicans versus Democrats. And then, of course, the Joe Jorgensen, you know, and, yeah. you know, who? And, uh, but, yeah. it, you know, I was, I was behind, you know, the government. I mean, 100%. And uh, then we go into the COVID. And I'm like, okay, this is kind of scary. You know, um, you know, oh, this could be a real pandemic. So I was 100% behind, you know, the government, you know, taking care of the people, like they're supposed yeah. to. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, since then, I mean, you know, talking to various people, people like yourself, people like, uh, you know, I've, I've talked to, uh, you know, I had uh, voluntary vixens on uh on the podcast and they have yeah i've been had, on their show too yeah oh you have i yeah, did yeah. not know i did not see that i'm gonna have to go back and check that one out okay yeah i mean you know talking to people like them uh my son is uh it does biting the bullet podcast um you know mm -hmm. which I've, I've turned him on to your videos on youtube and he's like oh that dude is so spot on <laughs> So if you want, maybe I can uh, talk to him and see about maybe either having you on their podcast. I, I think they would be, they're kind of uh, anarcho, I guess, uh, anarchist, uh, capitalist, I guess. To... Sure, I'd love to. Yeah, I'm, okay. I'm, I'm trying to, as, anything I can do to get the word out. I mean, yeah. And uh, yeah. But uh, okay. So we were talking about, you were talking about, uh, you know, with the, uh, you know the civil rights violations now right now we've got this huge in the country we've got this huge issue with abortions and texas passing the law okay yeah. me personally i'm, I'm anti-abortion um I, I don't think i mean you if you play you've got to pay right um you know i mean there are certain instances etc 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 without getting deep into it but now you know they're they're up there saying oh it's my body my choice 
So if that's the case, then why doesn't Roe versus Wade actually apply to the virus or to the vaccinations? My body, my choice. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm not going to really get into the abortion issues. I mean, the, the phrase right. my body, my choice is, is a is a fake phrase. And I mean, if one is going to defend abortion, there's ways of defending abortion in a, from a philosophical perspective. I'm not saying it's a good defense or bad defense, but okay. but the way that you defend it is, 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 you know, any good defense of abortion, uh, any justifiable defense of abortion can't just start and say it's my body, my choice, because there's another body there. Right. There's a human and it's a, it's a it's not a hippopotamus. It's a it's a human and it's a right. living human being that's in there. So so whatever your justification can be. And there are there are arguments that are are, are sophisticated and saying, you know, up to the effect, well, it, even though it is a human being, it, it's not a full moral agent. So there's a lot of other kinds of debates you can have and what counts as a full moral agent and whether it's endable. Or not. It's, it's a rich tapestry that where one can have interesting arguments potentially, but it ain't just enough to say, well, it's my body. No, it, it, it's, you have to have a lot more structure yeah. to be able to defend something like abortion. And that's not good enough. So, I, right. you know, I, I'm, I, I see the, of course, the, the, if they are going to start saying my body, my choice, which is not by any means even the beginnings of an argument for abortion, right. although there could be. Or, um, but if you are going to use that as your motto, well, then that, that motto certainly is a much better argument for, um, uh, for, for, for anti-vax or, or, right. or anti-vax mandates than, than it is for, for abortion. Yeah. And yes, I should bring that. You did mention, I, I wouldn't say that I'm anti-vax. I've never been anti-vax in my life. Uh, mainly, in, and I've been just pushing back on vax uh, mandates and vax passes. Now, as time goes on, the more that I learn, I was never, never really interested in learning about vaccines. and I just not my style of stuff that interests me as a scientist. But I, the more that I learn about these vaccines, uh, the more I, I was in the beginning, people were I, I was hearing people saying, like, yeah, but these vaccines, you can still get infected and you can be infectious. And I kept thinking to myself, it just didn't seem plausible because my mental model for how vaccines work, which is just a cartoon. I'm not, again, I, I, I'm not an immune, I have no real intuitions, good intuitions as in, in, in the immunological world. But I just thought if your body is, is making, that is, you can have people that are, are vaccinated, they don't, they're, they're, they, they, they're protected, but they still can get infected and be infectious. I just, that doesn't really make sense to me because I think if you're, if you're getting infected and your body's making enough virus that you're, it's all over your body and being breathed out or coughed out or whatever, uh, well then surely that's causing some problems in your body's functioning, you know, but I don't know enough about it. So I just, but over and over again, and eventually, um, uh, even the CDC started to say, yeah, you can, you can get it and you can spread it. And it seems to be at similar numbers. So, so the first thing that blew my mind was that in fact, yeah, the vaccine is not, um, a sterilizing vaccine. You can, yeah. it's not slowing the spread, which completely undermines the vax mandate, um, argument. But even further than that is that, well, not only does it vitiate, uh, does it kill the vax man mandates or in the vax passport, but if it's the case that you're potentially getting it and transmitting it, but are lower symptom, have lower symptoms, well, that makes you more dangerous because you're actually an asymptomatic spreader. Whereas um, as regular, uh, regular unvaccinated people who've never had COVID before are going to get symptoms. And most of the driver of the spread is for those who have symptoms. So you're actually less dangerous uh, community-wise. Um, uh, to be an unvaccinated uh, uh, person um, because you actually show symptoms, so that whereas you're just hyper spreading it if you're vaccinated. So, the, but it, but I was still thinking that well, at least individually you're probably helped, whether it's 90% reduction or whether it's 50% reduction. But even that seems to be going down the wastebasket. For one, after three or four or five months, it seems to be completely gone. The, the you know almost completely gone the benefits. And two, there's enough. You know, the way that they're saying that someone's fully vaccinated, they're saying, well, let's 
after the second booster, sorry, after the second uh, uh, shot and after the couple weeks of immunosuppression, which if you if you actually include those, there's enough, you know, you're getting enough people with enough problems um, during these other parts that it, it, it becomes much uh, more of an issue as to whether it's being helpful, um, even for the ages where it potentially could be helpful in some of the older ages. So I, I'm now up in the air as to whether it's even helpful. Uh, overall, and that positive for those in their 50s, 60s, and up, where where it potentially could have been positive, and definitely I've never seen and still don't see any advantage to those who are young, where you have effectively a negligible, 10 times to 20 times lower risk than flu. Um, why on earth would we be mandating um, this for folks, and, and it has higher profile of risks than all of the flu vaccines? Why the heck would we be doing this? There's just no, you know, it's just up to your your own individual self and your own exactly. judgment. Right. That that right. just doesn't make any sense. So yeah, no, I'm not anti-vax, but no, in this case, I, I, you know, I would say I guess I am from you know, the, the the weight of it, but mostly I'm anti-vax mandates. Yeah. Yeah, and I apologize for saying anti-vax, uh, meaning yeah. that. It just, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, and and my opinion on this is, hey, look, if you want to get the vaccine, more power to you. You know, just don't ask me if I've got mine. You know, I'm not going to ask you if you're vaccinated. Don't ask me if I'm yeah. vaccinated. You know, I mean, yeah, yeah. not only civil rights violation, but I mean, we're, we're talking, you know, HEPA violations, you know, which, you know, your employer can now ask medical information, you know, about, you know, if you've had the vaccination or not, you know, mm -hmm. which, uh, and if you don't have the vaccination, uh, they're requiring a weekly test, you know, yeah. uh, for, well, which my wife is actually going through now. She has to be tested every, every Monday, which makes no sense. Yeah. You know, they, they, yeah. they do a saliva test and, you know, I mean, so if they contract or get infected or, you know, is, are exposed to COVID that afternoon, Monday afternoon, in theory, they could spread right. the COVID virus all week long. Right. Well, know, it doesn't make any sense. She are, there already is a test where the test is, does she feel any symptoms? And if she's seen, if she has symptoms, uh, either internal symptoms or they're visible, you know, uh, all those things uh, tell us that she's uh, infectious. And right. if she doesn't have symptoms, then for the most part, the first order, there's just no worry. And so you don't need a test. That the body is not naturally uh, does the indication for us. Yeah, it's uh, it's. I mean, the whole vaccination, and uh, I've actually uh, had discussions with with my doctors. <laughs> about this and, and about mask wearing you know yeah. you know the the doctor goes i had i had one of these face masks on and she's like excuse me you know we're doing our little monthly deal and uh she's like you know can you pull your mask up a little higher over your nose which my mask was yeah. over my nose and yeah, i'm like yeah. that matters and she goes oh yeah. yeah and i said what about the air gaps in your mask can you yeah. please close your air gaps in your mask? <laughs> you know, yeah. she actually got really ticked off and, 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 and ended up getting one of these form fitted masks, you know? Oh, I mean, wow. Yeah. I was like, you know, that you're missing uh -huh. the point, you know, <laughs> yeah. but, yeah. uh, holy smokes now. Okay. You said you have six books out there right now, correct? Well, the six is on the way. It's uh, okay. called expressly human on the, on the origins of emotional expressions, why we have them, what they are how it all works, sort of a grand unifying theory about why social animals and us have the emotional expressions we do. Wow. That's the sixth one coming out. Yeah. Okay. Now, where where would somebody be able to locate this? Uh, well, I mean, if, if you go, well, you can find uh, 
many of my books at Amazon. I've got a, mm -hmm. my first novel is only available at my own website. Chang, you know, my last name is Changi Z, Chang, I Z I. Mm -hmm. So ChangiZ.com, you can get all my, you know, links to all the, the books there. And okay. so Human 3.0 was my fourth book. And it's a novel, a hybrid novel about sort of what's next after, after human and um, sort of based on the kinds of principles that come out of my research. And then, uh, yeah, I've got other books on the origins of language and music, other books on why we, why we, um, why your eyes face forward is called vision revolution, why you see in color. Um, wow. and, and, but you know, a lot of the, a lot of the, uh, some of my older research is a little bit harder and you wouldn't want it to have a story to grandma or granddad, but a lot of the research <laughs> ended up to be kind of fun and, you, you know, and, and, and a lot of, you know, just makes a good, has a good story connected to it and it is, is a joy. So I've ended up sort of somehow ended up being in the popular book writing business, not writing popular books about other people, but just my own research. And then at some point I was uh, decided that, you know, I wanted to be able to write books like Darwin did and where the publication itself is the book. So it's, oh, it's written well enough. It's written fun enough that anybody can read it. But one of the reasons that they want to read it is not just because they're reading a book about, that a journalist wrote about other people's research. No, they're reading the real science. This is the only place that it is. This is where it came out. Um, and the other scientists will be reading that book, the same thing that you're reading. And so this way you can really publish a full-on 350-page argument to explain something grandiose. Whereas in normal academics, you've got to write you know, three or four or five, six papers per year, and they've all got to be these little micro size papers right, right. you just can't do anything big you can't do one big theory and as a theorist that comes up with grand unifying theories that's that's my shtick so i over the last 10 15 years i've been trying to focus on doing what you really wanted to do the sort of romantic but, uh, ideas of being a scientist of doing big ideas okay out of out of your six books right now which uh which would you say is your uh your big claim to fame your favorite uh your, your golden-haired book i guess well harnessed uh my third book is called Harnessed um, How Language and Music Mimicked Nature and Transformed Ape to Man. It's basically the story about, um, you know, a lot about how we came to have language and uh, writing. And it's, it's that we never evolved to have language and writing. Instead, cultural evolution over time shaped, for example, writing. Letters look like nature. Letters, like all the letters and all the alphabets on Earth, it turns out when you look at the kinds of contour, the way the contours intersect out in the world, you know, just amongst objects, the way that their edges intersect, certain th they intersect in certain kinds of ways in nature, and they don't intersect in other kinds of ways. The ways that they happen to intersect are the ways that lang uh, writing systems have given us letters that have those same intersection types, because that's what the brain is already good at processing, because we've got a visual object recognition system. So we didn't evolve to read, but cultural evolution shaped writing, even though there was no designer, it just sort of happened over, 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 over time to have letters look like nature so that it can harness our, our visual object recognition system and turn it into a reading system. And the same idea is true about sounds of speech. Speech has culturally evolved over more like hundreds of thousands of years to sound like object events. When objects hit, they make a hit sound, you know, with like a, like a plosive, puh, kuh, tuh. And when they slide against each other, they make fricative friction sounds, like a fricative shh. And when they hit, the, the things vibrate, like, you know, like the thing will vibrate. You can tell what it is, like it's a coffee mug, let's say, being hit by a, a pen. Those things are like vowels. And so, you know, the, when you actually work out the kinds of sounds that solid objects make in real life, they actually have the peculiar characteristics that you find in human language, because human language is culturally evolved to sound like what you're good at hearing. So I'm, I would, you know, like uh, uh, and, uh, Galileo 
argued that the Earth is not the center of the universe. In fact, right? He's like instead of right. geocentric, he said, "Look, it's not. We're not. It looks a lot the hell like we're the center of the universe because everything seems to be going around us. So it's really counterintuitive to suggest that the Earth is not. But it turns out the Earth is not. Well, the same thing I'm trying to argue. All of the the entire field within academia has always tried to say that humans are special." Uh, biologically special. They're either special because we're especially plastic, that we can be shaped to be anything, and all the other animals are instinct-filled. No, that's not true. We're just as instinct-filled as all the other animals. Okay. Or they try to say that we have special instincts like lang- a language instinct that makes us special. There's some instinct that we evolved that makes us different than the other ones. And that's not true either. We don't have a language instinct. It's just that cultural evolution over time shaped the sounds of speech to sound like something we already had an instinct for, to, set, to have an object recognition or event recognition systems. We, so I call this uh, uh, zoocentrism and rather than human centrism. Look, ultimately, we're just apes and we're part of the fabric of, 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 of this, just the whole zoologic, zoological world. We're qualitatively no different than anybody else. What makes us qualitatively different now and astronomically smarter than the other animals is not because we're biologically smarter, but because we happen to be able to get cultural evolution up and running because we were in sufficient densities at sufficient numbers for sufficient periods of time in Africa and since then that we've been able to get cultural discovery in the process of discovery and that itself leads to a kind of evolution called cultural evolution. So it's, wow. I'm kind of at the forefront of being the only person that's really arguing for the zoocentrism that humans are not special and trying to fit us as we really are biologically in, 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 within the rest of the, of the, of the zoologic world but also explains why we do seem to be fucking different than everybody else. And it's because of cultural evolution, not because of biological evolution. Wow. <laughs> so these, I, that so is these a are, definite mind-blowing <laughs> moment right there. Yeah. So these mass areas, you know, these are mass areas that we're subject to, you know, in this light, we're just apes, man. And we're just apes that are, are having a lot of seeming powers beyond apes because of cultural evolution. But man, when culture does the funny things, and messes up because of the networks, the societal dynamics. Well, we start doing mess, messy things too, because we're not much more than your average ape. Um, we're just a little smarter uh, biologically than than the other apes, but um, we're only astronomically smarter because when society and culture and the structures are working as they're supposed to, or, or as they've been designed to. But as you see, everything went wrong a year and a half ago, and all of your smartest friends are probably not anymore. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Holy smokes, that's, uh, yeah, I'm definitely getting that book. So you said that is human, what was that again? Human what? Well, uh, well, that book is called just Harnessed. Um, oh, Harnessed, okay, that's easier. To Harnessed. Okay, yeah, yeah, I'm definitely going to have to check that one out. <laughs> that is, woo! <laughs> but, uh, okay, um, I mean, yeah, we've covered like you know the the the, the viruses and, and and stuff like that. Uh, I mean, do you have any other topics that you are are becoming passionate about that we may be able to see in uh, future science moments? Yeah, I mean, um, I you know at the, at the, I hope one day that the science moments are going to start to veer uh, beyond the, the kinds of. Uh, I've tried, you know, I, I've decided to make them topical, rather, you know, even, even, if they, even if COVID goes away and people suddenly calm down, uh, then I still probably will make the moment somehow connecting up to some issues of the day, um, just because it's sometimes more fun to talk about. But, you know, the point of the show for me is really not to be, I'm not trying to be newsworthy. I'm not trying to connect to the news per se. 
I'm trying to have standalone little, each moment sort of stands for one kind of, you know, uh, decom one kind of little nugget so that later we can say, oh, but, you know, we talked about that. And so I can then re refer to some previous moment that handles that issue. So over time, you can just use them as sort of little building blocks to make a kind of general point rather than sort of what a lot of more journalists or newsworthy ones where it's trying to just say something about the day's events or that week's events. And, uh, you know, uh, and, uh, and thus in like two or three weeks, no one's going to be interested in that, that video because it really only mattered that week, right? That's not right, what I'm trying right. to do. I'm trying to get them so that whether they matter or not, it has nothing to do with that week per se. Um, so uh, that's, that's the challenge with them, to try to make them sort of independently interesting, but still connect up so that one is kind of interested that week because it happens to sort of connect to something, but that's not really the point. And yeah, I'm at 112 as of today. and. Yeah. Uh, seems to be that in, in the COVID season, when COVID season started, it was on moment 52. Prior to that, they were all unrelated to COVID. And then when I restarted, so yeah, we're about 60 or so in now into the COVID, to the endless COVID season of my science moment series. <laughs> and uh, you know, the way I fear that the rest of my life will be COVID season because these mass hysterias just don't go away quickly. They right. can stay there for generations. And uh, the old joke is that they you know, that it can take rivers of blood, you know, Charles McKay and his, his old book, uh, uh, The Madness of Crowds, uh, you know, said that these things uh, often take rivers of blood for them to finally uh, uh, be taken down and that they're really hard to stop. And so, uh, and, and, and I think that we have at our research institute sort of the beginnings of an understanding of why they are so hard to stop. Um, the mathematics of why these social narratives, once they get going, are almost impossible to turn back and turn off and to unwind. Um, and, uh, so, but I'd like to hope, hopefully my research can lead to something that's prescriptive. It's like, uh, here's what we should do in the future to minimize the chances of such events, okay. or here's what we can do to maximize the ability to, to veer these narratives into something that's more, you know, th these are the kinds of things that we would like to be able to, to, uh, to say. Now, not to, not to dwell on any type of negative, uh, issues, but, uh, what kind of lashback yeah, I guess. Uh, have you received for uh, your videos on 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 COVID issues? Uh, you know, there's two different kinds of lashback, I suppose. Um, from the science journalism slash and then public other academics world, certainly there's been a lot of folks that came out, uh, you know, angry with me and they're accusing me of being a, a conspiracy theorist, which of course I'm explicitly arguing on it all the time that against conspiracy there's no none of these things well there are theories about conspiracies and that's not what a, not what a conspiracy theory is um, right. but anyway i'm i'm explicitly against these conspiracy theories and arguing on my own side for folks to drop it because it's ridiculous and um but uh and you know a lot of some of these journalists came after me and so like you know like they're they're all uh i haven't i'm still waiting for the hit piece where some academic or journalist will then just write a story on me and then they're going to say how I'm da deeply dangerous and should be stopped, which of course they've already said these sorts of things. And um, and then they try to get me stopped. And then of course they're going to go after all of my 20 or so discoveries. They're going to try to pick them apart one by one oh, on the no. basis of you know once I, you know, I mean, th these are the kinds of things I, I expect will happen. But we'll see. Um, as the bigger that the more well known that I get, the more that's likely to happen. Um, then there's of course that so that's the more uh, journalist and other academic world where you know so i've got journalists that came out and say like i want to have someone build an app so that when i'm at a, at a bookstore and it sees changizi's book 
then it tells me, oh, no, don't get it because, you know, we don't like him and we should boycott him. You know, that kind of thing. She's, right, she's joking right. about this, but she's, you know, with her millions of followers, she's saying no one buy Mark's books, that kind of thing. But then there's the other side, which is our friends and family. So about a few months ago, I decided to start going to go back to Facebook. Which I hadn't really been on for 10 years. I just had an account. And I said, why should I let all these friends and family and colleagues or whatever uh, stew in this mainstream narrative where they have no idea that there's actually um, that what they're being fed is orders of magnitude wrong. And just because I, you know, I was originally thinking, well, I'm not going to make change any of their minds. And I may not, but they, they damned well better hear it. I finally decided if they can, if they need to be, they, and they might get angry at me, but there's, you know, in, in, you know, my own world, I'm one of the most well-known scientists. You know, they don't know, not everybody knows scientists, right? So That's in their world, right. you know, I certainly, for, I'm the, the scientist that they, they know, and I've got a lot of discoveries. And so if anybody's going to be able to do that without some like, who are you, then it should be me. So I, I feel like there's some responsibility for me to come out. So they see there's someone agitating because like, this is wrong. So some fraction of them, those who are already maybe a little bit on the fence would be the ones that would then say, okay, well, maybe well, let me look into it. So those, and then there's another bunch who might already kind of be on my side, but didn't have any confidence. So by, by being out there, being vocal and being confident and strident about it and giving them the evidence and giving them the papers and going through them, you know, then you have, instead of a silent minority or a silent majority, you have a much more vocal one because they get their confidence. They get their back, you know, they, they suddenly, uh, you know, stick their chin up rather than just staying quiet because they don't want to, uh, you know, uh, be put, put stick their neck out. So right, these kinds right. of things I think are important. So it, now that I've gone back to Facebook, but Facebook, yeah, I've got a lot of friends and family and you know close family who are really angry at me and think I'm soft the wall. And um, but you know wow. you have to have a, a skin that rolls you know whatever oh, feathers or whatever for this kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I, I mean, now I have really haven't looked at like the YouTube uh, comments or anything like that. I've just been you know, checking out the videos and stuff like that. Yeah. So I, I really honest, I mean, I'll, I'll sometimes I'll glance and, you know, people give the thumbs up and stuff. I haven't really seen, you know, too many thumbs down on your, on your videos. No. Oh yeah. Actually the videos have been almost entirely, I'd say 99% positive. I did have one student that was, you know, maybe 20 years younger than me. And I used to look up to you and he wrote this line. I can't believe that you're saying these things. And I, I can't believe that I looked up to you kind of thing. And I wrote him, I said, you know, a long kind of, that was on the comment thread on one of the videos. But other than that, um, you know, I'm at, you know, 2,500 past uh, subscribers as of yesterday. Uh, you know, I've had a really good reaction there. And you know, so far I haven't been, had any videos asked to be taken down by YouTube, which I'm a little surprised. Yeah, but, I was uh, actually shocked on that, especially after, you know, they've, they've actually came out and said, you know, with, uh, well, the press secretary came out and yeah. said, uh, you know, that, hey, you know, any, you know, people that are spreading misinformation, you know, we're going to, you know, I don't like, how is this misinformation, you know, so, right. but, right. yeah, I mean, obviously, they don't think it's misinformation. But it, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, and, that, and that's just the way science works and the way the search for truth works is that i mean hope you know science is filled with even if you characterize it as two sides on every given issue that means that one of the two sides on every given issue that you're scientifically arguing about is wrong mm -hmm. and that doesn't mean that it's misinformation it just means that um that as they struggle back and forth with acquiring evidence and making their arguments against one another they slowly climb towards truth 
but it doesn't mean that you say that you make a decision at some point and say, oh, you're the wrong side. So you hereby can't all of your journal articles are going Ex to be expunged from the record. That's Ex not exactly. how it works. Exactly. Right. That's not misinformation. This is the struggle for truth is by exactly these kinds of arguments and people on different sides making those arguments um, that misinformation is what happens. In fact, it's not 50 percent of the time in science. It's 99 percent of the time of what you look back. It's all wrong. Right. But it doesn't mean that it was misinformation per se, much less disinformation. It was just wrong. And yeah. the way we get to the right is stepping on the wrong and slowly getting higher and using it as a ladder, not to uh, uh, to, to memory hole the wrong. Well said, very well said, absolutely. Uh, you know, I mean, with, I don't know. I mean, how can people like yourself be accused of misinformation, okay? And yet the corporate media can say whatever they want. I mean, right. it, and, and, yeah, yeah, and, and they're, they're, they, and I, I mean, I remember the, one of the reasons we're in this mess is because everywhere um, was repeating a mistaken infection fatality rate versus case fatality rate back in March of last year. And then it was put into the U.S. Congress during the presentation by the WHO. The case fatality rate is the percentage of people who show up at the hospital usually i mean generally it just means a confirmed case but usually it's a confirmed case because of the hospital or were confirmed by a doctor um, of those who are confirmed as having covid what percentage die um, versus infection fatality rate is just of everybody they infected and you have to extrapolate this based on uh, samples of everybody that's affected what's the what infected what's the percentage chance of dying and um, they're completely different kinds of numbers because the case fatality rate is, is sampling from folks that are usually already at the hospital. And so they're already disproportionately sick, right? So if you're sampling amongst those that were sick enough to get it, that go to the hospital, especially, you know, when this wasn't quite a, as, you know, in the very beginning, people were actually showing up as they needed to rather than just freaking out. So the people that showed up at the hospital, they're already really sick. They're going to have a much higher case fatality rate than yeah. what, what, whatever the infection fatality rate is. And so they had, graphs so that on the on the left half of the page it showed the uh infection fatality rate for flu as a function of age okay but again in, in on the right half of the page it showed the case fatality rate for covid now remember the infection fatality rate could be 0.1 percent which in, in fact is like 0.15 percent oh. on average <laughs> for across all demographics Right, but the right. case fatality rate could easily be 10% or 5%, depending on the country, and depending on the specifics of those demographics and how they're handling things. And it's just, it's, it's a lot of variables, but it could easily be 100 or 1,000 times higher. So on the left half of the page, they're showing flu infection fatality rate, and these bars, you can barely see the bars because they're so low, because they're scaled right. them the same way. And on the right, they've got COVID case fatality rate, and the bars are to the ceiling, right? And so they're like, oh my, and if you look at these graphs, which is what people saw at the beginning of March, you're, they're shitting themselves. And why wouldn't you? Because it looks like it's 10 times, you know, 50 times higher and more dangerous. But they're comparing apples and oranges. And the journalists well, are repeating this. And actual scientists like Fauci repeat, put, actually put this during the talks, you know, their presentations to, to the Senate. These things are, 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 are one of the many reasons for why this became a hysteria back in last March. Right. Well, in fact, I used to do a little bit of like a stock prediction, if you will. And mm -hmm. one of the things that always came out is liars figure and figures lie. You know, I mean, basically what, what was learned 
was that uh, you can manipulate numbers pretty much any way you want to present to anybody. So basically, yeah. like what you're saying is, okay, well, we've got a 0.1% infection, but of those, you know, how many people have, how many of those, what percentage of that tiny percent, you know, has actually died because of it? You know, so now you're looking right. at like, you know, oh my God, it's 75%, you know, you know, and, and right. which there are so many other variables, like you said, I mean, you know, you know, you get, you could be overweight, you could be diabetic, you could be this, you could be that, you know, you've got, you know, heart issues anyway. And I mean, you're just waiting for that one last straw to be thrown on your back anyway. And, yep. you know, now all of a sudden it's a COVID death. And yep. now there were a lot of rumors about hospitals uh, not reporting the to the uh, bears, which uh, voluntary vixens put on there. Yep. Uh, I, I did a couple incognito calls, if you will, to a couple of my local hospitals and asked to talk to the infectious control nurse. And she's like, oh yeah, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I said, how often do you report to the bears? And they had no idea what I was talking about. None. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, but it's, yeah, these, yeah, these bears are, yeah. Right. Well, these bears reports as, as bad as they look, which they already look really bad. Um, it could easily be five to 50 times under, under counted because in, and there's uh, apparently some different kinds of studies that have tried to guesstimate how much undercounting that you know they are because they're, they're not being followed up and a lot of people aren't reporting their adverse events um, um so yeah it, uh, it seems to be a, a real failure as far as i can tell uh, the vaccines uh, these vaccines seem to be a, a real failure at all all levels yeah but yeah it's a uh, yeah it was actually really shocking i mean you know looking at all this and then you know you look start looking at the numbers and the numbers don't really jive i guess for me um so it looks like somebody is actually taking and manipulating the numbers if, if that makes sense uh they're actually you know like you said uh you know okay you got an infectious rate of 0.1 percent but of that 0.1 percent you know you've got a nine percent fatality so they're using the nine percent as oh it's a nine percent fatality rate on covid well not really you know um yeah. so yeah that's just well, uh, that's <laughs> yeah yeah no a lot of these i mean uh, when they even were the case that there was a 90 percent reduction uh, uh with the vaccines which was a lot of the initial claims although there seemed to be more like 30 to 60 percent even measuring like they're measuring and not including the uh, immunosuppressive period uh, before it starts to kick in and work um then um that that sounds great but in reality um you aren't necessarily going to get COVID. Um, and so you may only have, let's say, a 1% chance of just getting COVID over the next year. Right. And in which case, you've your actual lowering of that may be then instead, it's going to be that you're at 0.3% chance of, 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 of actually being protected, because you already have a low odds of even having whereas you have a 100, if you take the vaccine, you have a 100% chance of having the vaccine and any side effects, you have a 100% chance of having the risk of the side effects. Whereas if you don't have it, you still have a, um, a, a you know still have the initial uh, improbability of getting COVID in the first place. Uh, not to mention the fact that a huge uh, fraction percentage have already had COVID 
have already recovered from COVID and have effectively no advantage um, uh, to take the vaccine at all. And, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, yeah. holy smokes, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, including me. I've already had it. My wife's already had it. Why would I take it? I, my right. best friend um, had to take it because he was flying to certain foreign countries and uh, his doctor, and he broke out in shingles and, 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 and bad, bad uh, effects. And someone oh. our age, 50 years old, shingles is a pretty serious issue. Yeah. Shingles are awful. So for six weeks, he was having shingles coming and going. And even after they went away, they keep coming back. Oh so his God. doctor, there's, there was really no way to, to not, uh, one of my good friends. So he had to just, the doctor said, you're not taking the next booster. They did an antibody test. He was, he was, he had plenty of antibodies showing he had COVID and hadn't realized he, he had had COVID. And the doctor said, no, you should not get the second one, but he has to get the second one because otherwise you just can't, you can't get the papers, you know, whatever the, the red tape requires it. So the, basically the doctor just had to just say he had it had it because there's no way around it. You, you know getting a medical exemption is a billion times harder than just lying about it you know because yeah. um just, but it should be up to a doctor to decide no it is not in his best interest to have uh, more of what already led to a bad thing um, but mean, it doesn't allow for yeah that. it's that is really super sad i mean as far yeah. as uh, wow now see i was i was actually on on the fence fence line of, about getting the vaccine so i could go to foreign countries you know get the vaccination passport or whatever it is and, you know me and the wife were talking about it like we're you know we're 50 you know 55 years old give or take you know let's um you know let's just get the vaccine that way we can go to like italy or you know wherever and uh you know just go enjoy you know some stuff and you know it's like Holy crap! I had no idea about the shingles. <laughs> Dang! I, 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 my dad had shingles, and no, I don't want them. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, okay. Uh, your opinion only. Uh, solutions. Uh, I, I I tease my son, you know, because he's like this, you know, anarchist, anarchist cap uh you know and i'm like yeah i said but nobody does anything you know what what are, what are you doing to to fight this 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 battle you know yeah and uh, you know so i, I don't i don't see a, a lot of people you know say like yourself getting up there putting their neck on the line trying to get the information out there um i mean but what 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 do you think the next step is as far as well, uh, it's a great, yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah, I'd like to be able to. I, I, this is, in some sense, the trillion dollar holy grail <laughs> question for society is how to both stop these and how to turn them around when they happen. And you know, and, and some folks have said, like, you know, but is reaching out on in you know the kind of public communication that I'm trying to do, are we really doing anything? And or is, or is it we just are we not really doing anything and helping? And I, you know, I can see kind of both sides, but I think at the end of the day, remember. The reason that these kinds of events happen, they are psycho-societal events due to the way that social networks work and the way that messages and memes pass through them and the way that herds work, right? So mm -hmm. we're, if, if, if you have a voice in social media, well, then you're in exactly the right place to potentially affect those herds. I'm not saying it's easy to do, but I don't think it's obvious that, that fighting like I have, and not everybody can do it because it, it takes a lot of time. And if you don't have a voice on Twitter, there's just no sense in doing it because you know you just don't have enough followers. But if you 
but but I think that if you have the ability to have enough people listening and they can get the word out, you know, and retweet and so forth and get the word out, whether it's YouTube or you know Facebook or otherwise, I don't think I think you are doing something. I think that you're, you're even if you're mostly preaching to the choir again, as we talked about, you're giving those folks more education, more knowledge about how to defend their point of view, and giving them the confidence to go out and do it both locally and in their own, you know, sort of uh, uh, clusters within the social network. So I think it's, I don't think, I think it's, it's naive to say that um, there's to fight this on social media is pretend and it's not real. No, this is all a problem about social connections and social networks. So we have to fight it through social networks. In some, some cases, folks are, are good at fighting it locally. Like they're just, whatever people know them in their, in their cities. No one knows me in my city. Cause I, you know, I moved here. I don't, I don't have a company that's a local company. So since, you know, I sell internationally and I'm, my books are, inter- no one knows me here. So I'm no. not going to be the kind of person that should do something here and lead a demonstration here. That's just not sensible, but there are some folks who are just big in their own city. People know them. They're the kind of folks that can make a difference locally. Uh, and, and I think, you know, any way that you can affect uh, the social networks uh, the best you can are, are, is, is going to be the way to do this. But that's not much of that's not deeply insightful. I would love to be able to say a little bit that here's the right way to do it. Here's the nice, right emotional tact to use. Here's the right way to bet social capital to put your reputation on the line that does it. Here's the right way to re uh, to refigure uh, social networks in the right way or to re, re uh, have different kinds of mechanisms that allow them to not be so herd uh, oriented. You know, these are the kinds of more prescriptive, detailed advice that I'm, I'm hoping comes out of our research. And we, uh, but uh, in the meantime, you know, it's a little bit of sort of obvious stuff of, of um, just attacking, attacking the, the misinformation head on, but also simultaneously being an example. You know, the folks on my side, despite the misinformation on the other side being orders of magnitude off, nobody on my side argues that they should be censored. Nobody on my side argues that they should be suspended. We understand freedom and free expression and it works not by trying to silence the other side it works by virtue of a conversation or at least by people side by side speaking so that's how we know that we're on the right side only one side is arguing that the other side should be suspended and canceled that's the wrong side that's how you know yeah absolutely uh okay if you could if you could take a step back and look into a crystal ball uh like future events, do you feel that uh, this could actually become a violent issue? I guess for, for I think it's more likely to be violence in 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 Europe and a lot of places that don't have federalism like here, and we've mm-hmm. seen that. There's basically no demonstrations here. One of the benefits of the United States, uh, you know, federalism we usually think of as great is because we don't want federal government if they ever get dictatorial telling each state what to do but another great reason for federalism and having state independence is because you just have different cultures in each state and then those different cultures can then affect it bottom up in different kinds of ways and so a lot of people are you know we're 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 debating i mean we actually ohio's been great i I live in columbus columbus has been better for the most part than even florida but no one talks about ohio because it's flyover country they've been very non-caring overall compared to a lot of places but Florida, which is more famously um, a better place to be than, let's say, California, has been, you know, everybody seems to know it. And, and even though they were slow to come around, um, but people want to move there. And so a lot of I think a lot of places are going to polarize one way or another and hopefully stay that way. And I don't think it's just because, oh, if DeSantis gets voted out, then it's suddenly going to become. No, I think a lot of this is is due to the local culture. And um, and and of course, there's variability even within Florida and within any given state. But the hope would be that. People have an outlet. They have the ability to go to, to a state that's freer and less caring, 
And so they'll opt for that as their outlet rather than getting doing something stupid. But right. in okay. Europe or in some of these other places, there's no federalism. They're all under one umbrella. Australia, there's nowhere for these folks to go. And you see them out on the streets beginning to become, well, just demonstrating you know, at all, as well as in some cases getting to be mildly violent or a little bit violent. Um, in places like that, without any other options, I can imagine it's just getting worse and worse. But I think that we're somewhat saved uh, by virtue of, of having those, that, the, the state uh, variability. Man, hey, I just looked down at the clock and hell, we've been on for iron 11 minutes. So I'm gonna have <laughs> yeah. To, yeah, I'm going to have to wrap this up. And man, I, I seriously appreciate you coming on this show and, and talking about, about your stuff, uh, about your books. Um, like I said, I'm really super loving your YouTube videos. So anybody out there, check it out. Um, and it's a science moments, uh, with, uh, well, Dr. Mark and I'm a Ch Changi. I can never say your name. Cause I yeah, picture Chang easy. Like Chang -easy. Chang and then easy. Okay. Yeah, okay. Okay. Cause I always try to picture it in my head and it, it just doesn't work out that yeah. well. So <laughs> But man. it's actually Genghis Khan, yeah. In Farsi, it's, if you say Genghis Khan, it's Chengiz, Cheng, it's Chengiz is like basic like Genghis Khan. Really? Genghis Khan. Really? Yeah. Now, have you had DNA testing done? No, I, I mean, my grandparents, you know, they, 1920s, they didn't have last names. So everybody oh. was given a last name or they had to pick a last name. And I don't know the story behind why they ended up with Chengiz as their last oh, okay. name. But it's not really even a Persian name. It's more of a, you know, uh, not a, a, a sort of a, 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 so I don't know. There's some story there. I don't know, but no, there's no, no, okay. no more relation than the average person <laughs> raped by average person with an ancestor raped by their people. Right. By, right. By, by Genghis Khan. Well, I mean, yeah, um, that, yeah. Well, they said like, it's like one out of uh, like every thousand, maybe. Or yeah. One out of like every 10,000, one out of every 10,000 is actually related to Genghis Khan. Uh, yeah, because yeah. I guess he spread his seed all over the world <laughs> or yeah. known world at yeah. the time. But uh, yeah, yeah. But hey, man, I, like right, I the... said, I appreciate you coming on the show. And uh, pleasure uh, to be on the show. Thank you very much. Hey, thank you. And uh, I hopefully we'll be able to talk to you again. All right. It was a pleasure. Have a good day. All right. You too. Thanks. Thank you, everybody. This has been Craig with the Unbeaten Path. Have a great day. It is of no use going back no to yesterday back because to we yesterday. were different people. Because we were different people. Begin at the beginning. It can't be said, right? And so long until it comes to the end. And it's not.